We're going to go back to the Psalms. I'm going to ask you to go to Psalm 23. I know that's not the Psalm that was read, uh, and I'll explain that in a minute. But Psalm 23, perhaps the most familiar portion in all of Scripture. So even if you're here today, you came for the baby dedication, whatever it is, and you're not real familiar with Scriptures and things, we're glad to have you here. You've probably heard these words or seen these words before. Psalm 23 says, The Lord, it says a Psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And chances are that you've heard those words at a a funeral service. I've used them at many funeral services. Pastor Lauren has used those at many funeral services to provide comfort for people. That's a go-to text when we go to meet with somebody in the hospital or somebody who's just received a, a terrible diagnosis. Why? Because David knew what God wanted all of us to know, that God is in control and that God is caring and that God is comforting. And this is a passage, Psalm 23, that one of the most comforting and encouraging and satisfying texts in Scripture, why it gets used so much. Maybe you've been in like a difficult or dark time in your life and somebody's come and they've read Psalm 23 and you've taken courage and strength and encouragement from that and being able to trust in God as your shepherd. But here's my question this morning. Like, what about when life isn't like that? What about when life is deep and dark and difficult, and it doesn't feel like God is your shepherd? What about when life is hard, and it feels like you're picking up the phone to call God, and it's ringing, and all you're getting is the answering machine? What about when it feels like God is not answering your call? When you say, I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and it doesn't seem like God is answering? What about the times when it feels like maybe God has abandoned you or given up on you or he's frustrated with you or angry at you? Like, how do we respond in those times? So I love Psalm 23 because it's so important for our comfort and understanding of who God is. But look across the page. Look at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, those emotions are as real as the emotions of comfort in Psalm 23. And for many of us, those emotions maybe even feel more real because of circumstances and situations and things that have happened in our lives. Sometimes it feels like God's not there. Sometimes it feels like God's not picking up the phone. Sometimes it feels like maybe God's letting you down. And I think that we have to be honest as Christians to be willing to say that. You know why? When you read the Psalms, it's really important that you don't start with verse 1. You start with verse 0. You start with the superscription that's up there. That's actually part of the inspired text. You can get confused if you're looking at an English Bible because you have something that's in bold and italics in the English Standard. It says, why have you forsaken me in bold and italics? That's something that the editors of the English Standard Version put there. If you have the NIV or a different translation, they probably did that as well. But below that, it says, to the choir master... According to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. And we oftentimes, we just kind of blow past those. 
That's actually part of the inspired text of the scriptures. As a matter of fact, in a lot of Hebrew translation or Hebrew Bibles, that will be that would be verse one. But there's important things that help us to understand the context of the psalm, just even in that. When it says the doe of the dawn, that's probably like a musical tune. And so it's probably a musical tune that people knew. And when David wrote this psalm, he wrote it to a tune that people were familiar with and that they could understand so that they could sing a song to God expressing their emotions. How many of you have, have playlists on a, a, a music app of some sort? A playlist. Come on. If you're under the age of 50, raise your hands. Good. Most of you if you're over the age of 52. You know what? The Bible has a playlist, and it's called the Psalms. The people of God in the Old Testament had a playlist. And for most of you, your playlist coincides with your emotions at that moment, right? I'm feeling down. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling frustrated. My music reflects that. I'm feeling happy and joyful, and things are great. My music reflects that. The same is true in the Psalms. This was God's people's playlist for their life. I find it interesting that even these psalms were set to music so that people could sing them and that they could express their emotions to God and not just the fun and happy and angsty ones, right? If you're of my children's generation, this is called an emo psalm. If you're older, look it up. It'll make sense if you listen to some of their songs. But what I love about this is that it also says that it is a psalm of David. David, a man after God's own heart. The guy that we all look to to say, like, you want to be like David. You want to be close to God? Be like David. David knew God closely and intimately, yet David had these struggles. Yet David's the guy that wrote this. The guy that wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the guy that wrote Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, the emotions that we think about when we think about being neglected or being abandoned or, or calling God and God not picking up the phone and those kinds of things are the same feelings that David felt. And here's what I want to challenge you with before I even get into the verses of the text this morning is that somebody here probably is already thinking this way. Like, Christians can't think like that. Christians can't doubt. Christians can't have questions. Like Christians need to have faith. You can't doubt and have questions and concerns and wonders. Christians can't think that God has abandoned them. And I want you to know that not only can they, but they will. And I want you to know that there's biblical precedence for your questions. That there's biblical precedent for you asking those questions and having those feelings. And sometimes when you get into that place in life, or when I get into that place in life, when it's like, God... I'm here, I'm calling, and it doesn't feel like you're picking up, that you're not alone. Yeah. Did somebody do that on purpose? Come on. That was not planned if you're new here. That was, that was providential, but it wasn't planned. Right? Let me answer it real quick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but when it feels like God's really not picking up the phone, man, you know what? Like, you're not alone in feeling that because David felt that way. Now, answer this question. Have you heard this before from somebody in the Bible other than David? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does this sound familiar at all? No, don't answer that. Don't, don't yell out the answers. We've heard that somewhere before, right? Like in the New Testament, somewhere important? Okay, I want you to tuck that little piece of information in your pocket because we're going to come back to it at the end. And here's what's going to surprise some of you. It wasn't just David who felt abandoned by God. David wasn't the only biblical figure who felt like God had forsaken him. 
We'll come back to that in a minute. But if you've ever experienced that or felt those kinds of feelings, this psalm is for you. And if you haven't ever felt that way, just wait. So I want you to know something about the structure of this psalm. Again, when we read psalms, we're reading like an, they're each kind of individual units. And when the psalm writers are writing them as Hebrew poetry, they're usually writing them in a structure that's supposed to do something. So you can read a psalm and it can end really negative and you're like, oh wow, what's supposed to do something for you? You can read a short psalm that just says shout a whole bunch of times and it's, it's trying to get you to do something, right? In the psalms, we experience or we, we confront God with all of life's experiences and all of life's emotions. And so the structure of Psalm 22 is important. The first 18 verses we're going to look like, man, it's going to go downhill. It's going to go downhill fast, Right? You're going to end up in the depths of despair with this psalm in the first 18 verses. But the beautiful thing is it's not going to leave us there. There's going to be this pivot in verses 19 through 21, and we're going to see that you can orient yourself looking up. And then in verses 22 through 31 through the end of the psalm, it's just going to skyrocket upward. And I want you to know that so you can see where we're being taken emotionally because the psalms are meant to do that, just like the songs that we sing here are meant to do that. So verses 1 through 18 are going to give us this like downward spiral. And, and verses 1 through 11, you're going to see this idea of doubt. And I want you to follow along with me. My God, my God, verse 1, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken means to be abandoned, to have been left behind. You can think of soldiers on a battlefield, and then the soldiers leave, and they leave one man behind, and he's been forsaken or abandoned. That's the idea here, right? You can think of, have you been abandoned by someone? Have you been left, left behind by someone? Have you left your kid behind at some point, right? Then they feel abandoned, and it's psychologically damaging for them. Same idea. Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Groaning there is not kind of just like, I feel bad. And I said in the first service, this is not like you have a man cold. And a bunch of ladies laughed. I don't know why they laughed at that. But this isn't just like, oh, I don't feel very excited. The word for groaning here was this idea that somebody was making these like screams that were like inaudible language, but it was these loud groans and screams that everybody around them could hear and be like, there is something emotionally wrong with that person. That was the idea that David is conveying here and the feelings. Verse 2, it says this, Oh my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The idea of crying out to God is going to show up over and over again in this psalm. And there's something different about crying out to God than just sitting down for dinner and saying, good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Which is the extent of many of our prayers, right? But there's something about, like over and over, something has you so wrapped up that you're just crying out to God over and over again. And there's emotion in crying out to God. And sometimes it's like actual physical tears. And maybe it's the wayward child, or it's the wayward spouse, or it's the diagnosis, or whatever it is. And you're crying out to God, and you didn't just do it once. You did it by day and by night and by day and by night. You can't sleep because of that. And it's keeping you up at night. And all of the emotions that are involved in that. He says, but I find no rest. I want you to look at those negative emotions in verses 1 through 3. Because in verse, or 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 5, you're going to see something a little bit different. 
And one of the interesting things about the, these first 11 verses is that there are four conjunctions that flip us back and forth and back and forth in verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 9. And it's going to feel, if you feel like it's flipping back and forth, and maybe David's a little schizophrenic, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Verse 3 says this, Yet, yet you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. You see how verses 1 through 3 he's saying, I feel like I'm calling and God isn't answering. I feel like I've been abandoned by God. And then verses 3 through, six, three through 5 he's saying, but you, he's wrestling. But, but you answered our forefathers. When they cried, you answered. There's a wrestling that's going to go on here. And what it's supposed to do, the structure of these verses is supposed to show us something about the painful, emotional turmoil that it is to wrestle with God. If you've ever felt like you're wrestling between your experiences and your emotions, your feelings, and God's faithfulness, that's what David is doing here. And you notice, he said, I'm crying out and I'm not being answered. But our forefathers, they cried out and you delivered them. He said in verse 5, they, pushed, they put their trust in you and were not put to shame. Verse 6, but, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's called public humiliation. David's wrestling back and forth between God's faithfulness with previous generations and his feelings right now. You ever wrestle with the difference between God's faithfulness and your feelings? I know scripture tells me that God is faithful. I know I've seen it in my past, but now I'm wrestling with where I am. You ever wrestle with God's faithfulness in your past? God, it seems like you were really there then. But now, man, this hurts. You're not alone. Look at verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust in you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. David said, my previous experience shows me your faithfulness. My present experience is making it pretty difficult. We will wrestle between our current feelings, our current circumstances, and God's faithfulness. And we're not alone, because that's how David wrestled as well. Sometimes my theology, what I know from God's word, what I've read and what I've studied, what I've heard pastors preach about, my theology and my experience, the things that are going on in my life, my circumstances, they collide, right? Or rather than being able to take God's word and take my experiences and look at my experiences and put God's word over it and say like, okay, I see it, God is doing something, this is hard, but God's at work. Rather than doing that, the two things collide, and we wrestle. If that is you now, if that has been you, I want you to know you're not alone. That the Spirit of God inspired, okay? He carried along David. He brought those experiences into David's life, and then he inspired him to write them down. Why would God have caused David to go through those experiences and then write them down in inspired Scripture and preserve this so that about 3,000 years later I can stand in front of you? Why? Because God knows that part of the human condition and the human heart and human life is wrestling. It's wrestling with your feelings and your faith. 
Like, that's going to happen. And if that's you, you're not alone. David wrestled with that as well. Those feelings of doubt. As I read those first 11 verses, it's almost like whiplash. And doesn't doubt feel like that sometimes? You're trying to tell yourself the truth, and then you're experiencing something. You're trying to tell yourself the truth, and you're experiencing something. And it's just like this whiplash back and forth. And it's okay to have those feelings, and it's okay to ask those questions. Here's, here's the struggle. If, if it's left uncorrected, doubt will spiral into despair. If we don't talk about it with people, if we don't get it out in the open, if we're not honest with our feelings, if we think, well, good Christians don't wrestle with doubt, so I better stuff that down. Like, it will turn into despair. Verses 11 and following talk about that. He says in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. There's, he's helpless. He uses a couple of metaphors in the next few verses. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan uh, surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. He's using these word pictures to show, hey, I am in deep despair. Now, you remember the really popular Sunday school stories about David have him conquering a couple of animals. You remember what they are? There's a lion, and there's a bear. There might be a tiger somewhere. No, I don't think there is. I think that was added later, right? But there's a lion. You just got that. It's all right. <laughs> it's cool. But there's, David has actually already faced these things, Right? Isn't it interesting how sometimes like, things that we've accomplished in the past seem not to register when we're wrestling with, with circumstances in the future? Like, we've been down this track before. God's shown himself faithful before. He can do it again. But man, isn't that hard when I'm in it, when I'm in that moment, and I'm feeling that thing right then? It can be very difficult. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Any of you who are over 40 and you uh, acknowledge that, raise your hand. Amen. Right? You're not raising your hands. I was vulnerable. I was vulnerable right then. There we go. Yeah. He's talking about like physical feelings. Watch this. He says, my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. He's saying like my heart is giving me heart palpitations. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. It's like a like dried out cracked pot that you just kind of touch and it blows away. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Like sometimes doubt and despair and anxiety and depression and all these things, they actually have like strong physical repercussions. Some of you have felt that. I shared not too long ago about like some stress and anxiety that was happening in my life and waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I was having a heart attack, like I needed to go to the hospital, right? My wife told me it was a man cold. I don't know. She did tell me to go back to bed. <laughs> I did. But we know what it's like, man. We, we, we feel those feelings sometimes, even physical feelings. And I just think it's so important to see what David is communicating in terms of the feelings. Like, have you been in that emotional dark place? Have you been in that dark, physical dark place where it's, it's confronting you on all sides that's what he's talking about here. God, where are you in the midst of this? You, you like lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. Here's another one of those little things you want to put in your pocket for later. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
Verse 17, I can, count on all my, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. He's absolutely overwhelmed by his circumstances. He's helpless, and he's hopeless. He's got emotional, physical pain, agony, all of those things. He's in the deep, dark place. And he's saying, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of the deep, dark place? Why have you forsaken me? It seems like you've answered my forefathers. It seems like you've been there for me before. But where I am at right here and right now, it seems like I am in the deepest, darkest place I've been, and you're nowhere to be found. So if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. And if you've never felt that way, we laugh a little bit, but I say, just wait, because we all come to dark places in life. As I said before, there are some psalms that you can read and you get to the end of it and you're looking to like figure out where chapter 2 is, right? Like, okay, this can't be the end of it. And it leaves us there for a reason. I am thankful that this is not one of them. I am so thankful that verse 18 is not where it ends. That God doesn't leave us in this psalm, doesn't leave us in the pit of despair. Whenever I find myself in a dark place, there has to be a change of mind. There has to be a pivot. There has to be a turning of some kind in order to get out of that and get going again. If you've been there, you know that. In order for, us to, for me to go up, I've got to look up. For, in order for me to get out of the pit, I've got to be able to look up out of the pit. And verses 19 through 21 show us that. Verse 19, it says, But you, O Lord, do not be far off, Oh, you, my help. It's interesting that he is still calling God his, his help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. In this time of doubt and despair, notice that the thing that changes David, the thing that gets him moving back in the right direction is a heartfelt prayer to God. And as soon as I say that, some of you may think, so I'm just supposed to pray again, even though God's not answering my prayers? Like, that's what got us into this whole downward spiral. But here's what I want you to notice about this text. There are five verbs there, and all of them show trust in God, either in what He will do or in what He has done. And each of them, and as well as the titles that God is called by, help us to see that David still has trust in God. And here's what I want to say to you, that crying out in pain and crying out in trust are not incompatible. Here's what some Christians believe, that if I really trust God, I can't really express my negative feelings. If I really trust God, I can't doubt God. If I really have trust in God, I can't have pain. And it goes so far, especially in some generations before my generation, where people would, would hide pain and cover up pain. And that churches didn't want to talk about pain or hear about pain because if you have emotional pain and you're in turmoil, if you doubt God, then you must not be saved or you must not be very spiritual. Right? And so what happened was is we kind of divorced these two ideas. That you could cry out to God in trust or you could have pain, but that you couldn't have the two together. And what Psalm 22 says is that that's not biblical. That sometimes crying out in pain is crying out in trust because at least you're still crying out. 
And at the end of the day, sometimes that's all you can do is just cry out. And so I want to dispel that myth, that idea that as Christians, we just kind of put on the smiley face, that evil, terrible, bad things happen to us, and then we just have to pretend that they didn't happen or pretend that we're okay anyway. And that to be spiritual is somehow just to be able to like, you know, smile and laugh everything off. And we misuse verses like James chapter 1, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, thinking that joy is just some kind of like flaky happiness, and it's not at all what it is. And, and what happens is we cheapen some of the feelings that other people have. When we say, oh, I've never felt that way, I've never had that problem, I've never. If you really haven't, well, good. But many of us have. And it's okay to call that what it is because crying out in pain and crying out in trust are not incompatible and sometimes they're the one and the same thing. So maybe you, some of you here today just need to hear somebody say you don't have to fake it anymore. <laughs> you don't have to keep faking it. Like if you're hurting, the church should be a place for you to get help. If you're hurting like I don't know if God exists and I'm struggling, I'm going through this and I cry out to God and call out to God and maybe you're at that place where so many people come where you get to the bottom of the pit and your theology and your experience collide. And rather than looking up and making that pivot, you or someone you know then says, there can't be a God. There must not be any such thing as God. Because I have pain and God wouldn't let me have pain. And say, there's no such thing as God. What I want you to see from this text is that we can wrestle with these thoughts and feelings and emotions. And if you are, hopefully this church would be a good place to help seek and search for some answers. It's a good thing we don't have to stay there. Verses 22 through 31. So I entitled the sermon, Praise Changes Perspective. Because in verses 22 and following, all the verbs change tense. They all start looking forward at what God not might do, but what God will do. And all of a sudden, we go from this bottom, this down at the bottom of this dark pit, to we're looking up, and this psalm is just going to shoot skyward like a fire, like a rocket, a firecracker right now. And the word praise is going to come up over and over and over and over again, because praising God always changes our perspective. Verse 22 says, I will tell of your name, to my brothers. In the midst of your congregation, I will praise you. And let's pause there for a second. This is a key that we don't want to miss. As I came up here at the beginning and I said, it's great that we can have people from the family of God from all different places together worshiping and there's strength in that. When you're wrestling, when you're in doubt, when you're in despair, when you're in that dark place that David talks about in verses 1 through 18, the safest place that you can be is in the congregation. The best place that you can be is with the family of God. As a matter of fact, I would say this. Sometimes, in deep despair, the best thing that I can do is just place myself around other believers. In other words, when I find myself in a place where I can't praise God, I need to place myself around other people who can. Amen? And one of the most strengthening things that should happen when church comes together and is church is that there should be a place for people to walk in the door and sit in the pew when they're in a state where it's like, I just can't right now, but I'm going to lean on you to do it. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why we don't push online church. 
Because having a live stream is a great supplement when somebody can't get here or they're out of town or things like that. But we believe that every Christian needs a live local church family to be part of. A live local church family to be strengthened by. And that's important. And we love online because I know like people travel and people, especially in the summer, we have several people who are retired and travel. And it's really cool because like you can maintain a connection with a local church body. And so we're going to continue to do it. And we believe in that. But exclusively, not a good idea, right? Because we want to be in that place when, where when I'm struggling, I can go and I can sit and other people can lift me up. That's the family of faith. Can I say this in addition to that? I challenged the first service, and I don't have it in my notes, but I want to challenge you as well. On any given Sunday, you and I have no idea who walks through those doors. We don't know how much baggage they're carrying. We don't know who comes through here just because it says Baptist. And when I was a kid, I went to a Baptist church, and I'm at the end of my rope, and I just looked up Baptist, and I came here. We have no idea what walks through these doors. But it is our job, the people who call this church home, to be on the lookout, to be welcoming and open and friendly. If somebody walks through the door over there and they make it all the way through and they make it over to the fellowship hall or they make it to sit down and they leave and nobody talks to them, welcomes them, is welcoming to them, that's not okay, you guys. And I know it's tricky because we got two services, we got people coming and going every week, new people. You might walk up to somebody and say, hey, are you new here? And they may say, no, I've been here for three years. And that's awkward. That's awkward for me as a pastor. Are you new here? You're like, no, I've been here for three years. Ooh, right? But you can say, as somebody was saying to me earlier, you walk up to somebody and say, oh, I missed you last week. And they say, well, I was here. You say, okay, well, I still missed you. Ah, uh, see? Log that one away. That's not for me. I, I'm borrowing that, but that's good. But we want to be a welcoming place. Why? Because you never know the hurt, the pain, the emotion, the bad week, the bad day, the stuff that people are going through. And we want this place to be a place, a healing place, where people can come and be challenged and strengthened and encouraged. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and do what? Stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. All of God is like a telescope right? You look in the telescope and you see God's bigness and greatness and amazingness. And it has this thing, not of diminishing my circumstances, but of at least putting it in perspective, right? In other words, some of my problems and issues start to look a little bit smaller when I'm really standing in awe of God. Verse 24, Verse 24 says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. This is beautiful. The same guy who just said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've cried out and I've called out and you're not answering. The same guy in the same song now starts to talk truth. Verses 1 and 2, David is expressing his feelings. Is that bad? No. It's okay to express feelings. It's a, God gave us emotions and feelings. It's what we do with them and how we interpret them. In verses 1 and 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feelings. These verses, verse 24, truth. And truth trumps feelings. Amen? Sorry if I offended somebody with a Trump reference, but truth trumps feelings. Okay? For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. That's just what David was complaining about earlier. 
He has not hidden his face from him. He has actually heard when he cried to him. And sometimes what we have to do is speak the truth to ourselves. We've got to get in the text. We've got to speak the truth to ourselves and let the truth triumph over our feelings. We've got to filter our feelings through the truth. And sometimes we've like, we got to just do it and let God bring us there, bring us to that place. Verse 25 says this, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. I love the fact that it says, not just for you, but from you. Because there's probably been a time when each of us have come here to praise God and to ha- give praises for God, and we just really haven't felt it very much. You're singing the song, and actually you kind of feel the opposite. But it actually says, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. Like, even in my lowest moments, when I'm just drowning, even in those times, like, God hasn't abandoned me. And even in those moments, when I'm able to give praise to God, that's a gift from God, right? Even when God's, like, absent from my experience, and I had the ability to praise Him anyway, that's, that's a gift from God. That's a testimony. And it says, from you. Meaning, like, you could be in that place, and you could come, and God can give you the power and the strength. And you're there, and you're singing, and you're raising your hands. And I know that most of you are Baptists, so you're just raising the hands of your heart. I know how it goes, right? Some of us have learned, and it's like, let's go. But at the end of the day, like, you're singing, and you're worshiping, and you're like, how did I even get here from God? From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. You know what that's called? That's called future perspective. And what I love is that future perspective puts my present circumstances in the proper perspective. He's like, I might not be there right now, but you... The afflicted, that's he's talking about himself, shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. He's saying that praise will change his perspective. Now, verses 27 through 31, I'm going to give them to you all at once. And I want you to notice how this goes from just focus on David to focus much, much bigger. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Those verses talk about the greatness of God the praise of God and the bigness of the story of God. And what it says is this, that whatever is my present reality, I can be confident that I'm part of a much bigger story. Whatever my present reality, whatever it is that the circumstances and the things and the darkness and the difficulty, we can take hope in the fact that we're part of a much bigger story, a story that spans generations and spans human history and spans all of creation. That we're part of the story of God and the people of God. And in that, there's something to praise. Amen? And when I praise, praise changes my perspective. Now, with about five minutes left, there's one more thing that we have to, uh, we have to talk about with this psalm, isn't there? That thing that's been in your pocket for a while? 
Let's pull that out and put it on the table. Psalm 22 is one of what's called messianic psalms. They're psalms that when they were written, they were written for a specific reason, and, and David or whoever wrote them and, and the original audience would have understood one thing, but the Spirit of God was actually having that person write that thing, that psalm, to tell us something about the Messiah. Something of what we know looking back from the New Testament is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22 is either quoted or alluded to something like 20 times or so that pieces of this are either quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Three of the most important happen related to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I already read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 16, They have pierced my hands and my feet. And verse 18, They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And here's one of the things that you need to know. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says a few different things. And one of those things that he says is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've heard that. Good Friday services are built around that. But what you need to know is that when Jesus uttered those words, those good Jewish people that were there, that were listening, that were both on Team Jesus and not on Team Jesus, would not have just heard, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Frequently in the New Testament, a New Testament writer will quote a little piece of an Old Testament author. And the reason they do that is to jog the memory. And then those people would know in an oral culture where they learn things by memory, they would be able to remember and recall all the rest of it. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those people would have known and reflected back on all of that psalm. And then suddenly as they're standing there, they would have thought about that piece about the hands and the uh, feet being pierced and they would say hang on a minute and they would have seen the clothing they would have understood the whole idea of casting lots for the clothing which happened at the foot of the cross and they would have said maybe David was telling us something about what we're seeing right here a thousand years before the crucifixion the Holy Spirit inspired David to write about the crucifixion and those people in that moment that were there at the cross, and Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of a sudden, the light dawns on them. All that we have been talking about in this psalm is about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the only reason that praise can change my perspective is because of Jesus. Amen? So answer this question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was it a real experience that Jesus experienced? Yes. Was it a real emotion? Jesus wasn't just up there on the cross like, I better say something to make these people feel good, right? Jesus in his humanity actually experienced, as I said, David asked these questions, that Jesus had the same experience. So Christian, when you feel like you're in the hole, when you feel like you're in a dark place, you know what? You're not alone. And it's not just David. That Jesus in his humanity who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? understood that feeling understood that feeling of being forsaken of being abandoned that was part of all that was going on on the cross but let me ask you this were those Jesus's last words on the cross no my God my God why have you forsaken me were important words and they were real words and they were emotional words and they were vital words but they were not the last words John's gospel records probably the most important words that Jesus spoke on the cross. It is finished. And that wasn't, it's just time for me to die. That's everything that I came to do. Everything that I came to offer is now finished. 
The reason that praise can change my perspective is because the words, it is finished. In fact, Luke leads us to believe that Jesus said even another statement, maybe after he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Luke says. Jesus said that, then he breathed his last. And in those phrases, we find hope. In those phrases, we find peace. In those phrases, we find perspective. We can find perspective in knowing that Jesus didn't end with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe this morning, you take peace and encouragement in the fact that Jesus uttered those words and David uttered those words. And maybe you need to find peace in knowing that Jesus also said it is finished. That if you're not a Christian, like praise isn't going to change your perspective because you don't have anything to really, truly, honestly praise. That the only reason that we really can praise is because what Christ did on the cross and what this psalm a thousand years before Jesus died was actually pointing us to is that true hope. So to become a Christian means that I admit that I'm a sinner, that I trust Christ as my Savior, that I have everything to praise God for, right? No matter what the circumstance is, I can get the diagnosis, I can get the phone call, I can get the thing that changes life in a moment. I had one of those this week, not in my own personal life, but with someone close to us. And you get the phone call and everything changes in the course of a few seconds. No one knows what's going to happen. But praise can change perspective because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for those of us who are Christians. So maybe today, praise means that you accept Christ as your personal Savior. You become a Christian and it changes your perspective on everything. Or maybe you would say today, man, I've been drowning. Like I have been feeling what David felt. And I want you to feel encouraged that you're not alone. But I want you to continue to go to God's word and God's community come to a pastor and talk to a pastor and let's talk about it together so that doubt doesn't turn into despair but that praise can change our perspective amen let me pray for us this morning because we need it god thank you so much thank you for your word thank you for the raw emotions just the the real truth god so thankful that we don't have to just fake it and pretend that we don't have to act like everything's okay God, we're thankful for those fun, exciting, good times. I'm so thankful for the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. But I'm also thankful that we can look at a psalm like this and see that not only David, but Jesus himself uttered these words. God, we're thankful that you're there even when it doesn't seem like it in our experience. I would pray for my friends who are here today, maybe who are struggling to put their faith in you or to keep their faith in you. God, I pray that you would just continue to challenge and grow and encourage. God, help us to be a church that encourages that as well. Uh, We just thank you that when we get together, we can lift our voices and our hands and we can open your word, um, that you continue to challenge and encourage us. God, I pray that this week that praising you really would change our perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.